Hey, the Lord's blessings again be with you all. Uh, we are continuing a sermon series that we started about four weeks ago. So this is the fourth part of the sermon series. And we're going to talk about stories. And stories are fun and very, very crucial to our faith. But our Lord commanded us to share stories with our children. And here's how he did it. What Miriam read for us, it started with this, Hear, O Israel. The Lord is one. We call it in the Hebrew, it's called Shama. This is, it means listen. So the Lord is speaking. So the prophets would always start, they'll say, Shama, listen. The Lord your God is one. And when he says, when he was talking about that our Lord is one, he's not just talking about as in one, the way we consider it one, but a compounding one. Our Lord is three in one. And he's saying, you shall not have any other gods. Your Lord is one. Anything that you give your devotion to, anything that you give your worship to, anything that takes the breath out of you, anything that actually takes your heart, anything that captivates your soul, anything that you depend in above God should not be God. It will fail you. So he says, Shema, listen, the Lord of Israel is one. And he is one, and you should always worship him, for that is good for you. He is the redeemer in the beginning and the end of your life. He says, but as you listen to this God, as you worship to this God, there are certain aspects of this part of listening. This listening was meant to be responded by obedience. As you listen, right? Parents tell their kids, listen. Uh, friends, they're out there asking friends to listen. We listen to each other. So when the scripture says, listen to your God, there's a response that needs to be done. A response is obedience to what we're listening. But then this obedience is empowered by this incredible love. He's saying, your God is one and he loves you. He will die for you. He's your meaning. He's your purpose. So be obedient to him. Because your inspiration for that obedience is the love that he has given to you. Because he loves you, he has called you to this obedience. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The word that in Hebrew when he says the Lord is one is Elohim. Elohim is a compounding unity, a unity of three in one God. So he's saying we believe in the God of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God. He is your only God. Any other gods are false gods. And yes, many of us probably say I don't believe in a false god, but we tend to do that a lot because we sometimes uplift our spouses in the place of God to give us joy, restoration, and make us feel happy, the happiness that we've never experienced before. Sometimes we place that in our children. We treat our children as our God. We want to live our lives through them, and we push them to be the best that they could be so we could feel fulfilled by their accomplishment. We make our children to be our God sometimes. Sometimes we make our jobs to be our God. Sometimes our careers, we want it to be our God. Sometimes our success, we want it to be our God. We tend to put other gods in the place of Elohim. So the Lord is saying, your God is one, and don't worship any other gods. So as we preach this sermon today, process through who has been your God who are, what are the things that you really relied on heavily, like God itself? 
and the, let the Holy Spirit guide us through the process of the word to bring us to repentance and to only worship this one God. But as we do that, as we worship this one true God, the way God shapes us is through love and through this beautiful story of him. The stories that he's the author of. And in this story, you and I are invited to be characters in it. The story is what shapes our loyalty and our obedience to God. Without those stories, it is really, really hard to understand the magnitude of how big and how powerful our God is. So for that, the whole entire scripture is a story. Let me give you a few examples. In the beginning, in Genesis 1-1, it says, In the beginning, God... So it's a story. It's starting with something. In Job chapter 1, it says, There was once a man in the land of Oz whose name was Job. That's a story. Now those days' decree went out from Caesar Augustus. That's a story. There came a man sent from God whom his name was John. That's a story. And Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among rubbers. That's a story. Everything in the scripture is a story. A story for us to be shaped by, but a story to tell our children and the generations to come. Not a story of sentiment, but a story that is crucial to build who we are and to give us a true identity. Without those stories, we always will come empty in the process. God is telling a world a story, and it begins in eternity, past and stretch into eternities and future. And it climaxed 2,000 years later of a guy who became, who was God, who became man, died in the cross, and rode, rose from the dead. And the theme of the story is shalom. The theme of God's story, the big story that God is sharing with us, the meaning, the actual theme is shalom. It means peace. God is sharing this incredible story in the scripture for generations after generations to bring peace in the places that no one else can bring peace. Human beings are story-shaped creatures. All of us are. And we are born into stories. We are raised in stories. And we live and die in stories. And whenever we have to answer a big question, questions like, who are you? Where are you from? What are you doing? What are you looking forward to? What do we do? We tell a story. I'll say, what's your name? Every time, by the way, in my, in my, in my experience, every time somebody hears my name for the first time, they're like, oh, what's your name? And I'm like, Dawit. And they're like, whoa, tell me the story. Like, like, it's almost as if like the name shouldn't exist. But if you have a story, maybe it should exist. We all tell a story in order to actually shape who we are and where we're going in life. And the foundational story of all is the story of God's love for his creation. And all other stories are to be measured against it. That's the ultimate story. Apart from that story, it's really, really hard to shape your life. Those are very, very interesting stories. Without those stories, our lives will struggle to find meaning here on earth. The single best way of conceiving faith and a faithful life is a story in which you are the character and God is the author. Your life task is to be a character in this great story that we've ever been told and it's what you are created for. So, 
if you feel like you have to build your own story, you don't have to. God has written this incredible story, and he's an author in that story. And you are a character. And it's going to be amazing as you see yourself a character in this story that God is telling. If faith was primarily an idea, only the intellect would understand faith, right? How many of you come across people that says, I just don't understand God. And then the response is, well, God is love. God is amazing. And then you're like, yeah, I get it. I don't know what the heck you're saying, though. There's so many amazing things on earth. If faith was just only an intellectual thing, it would be really hard to grasp. Even love, right? If I say, I love my wife, there's, there are certain stories that I will tell you in order for you to understand how much I love my wife. Just saying the word would be really, really hard to comprehend. It's only a proposition. A story is what gives a proposition and a declaration of blood and body in order to be real. Our pastor Josh and I lived together for like three months, the first time he moved, and then we knew he loved us, even though we've never really lived together before. It was, it was really fun. He loved us so much, we felt it. We felt his love, and we felt the love that we have for him. One day, our oven went out, our kitchen oven, so we weren't able to make like a lasagna or whatever. My wife and I were really delayed trying to make a decision which oven to buy or even to, to think about whether we should buy it or not. And then one day, I came home, and then there was an oven delivered to our kitchen, and Josh bought our oven. And we're like, dude, what are you doing? You bought us an oven. When I tell a story about how much Josh loves me and how much he loves our family, that's part of that proposition, right? If I add that, you would understand it easily. But if I come to you and be like, Josh loves me, it would mean no, nothing. Because proposition is hard to comprehend. Faith is not just a proposition. It's a story. A very crucial and only true story. Without this story, it's just a proposition. It makes no sense. When I was nine years old, across the street from where I grew up, there was a Coptic Orthodox church. A very large Coptic Orthodox church. And there was a woman who was a widow. who Her husband left her a lot of money. And instead of using this money for luxurious things she decided to give it out to the church a part of it but also she decided not to work but then she waits for all the kids in the neighborhood to come out of school and she sits on the street side and she tells a bible story right outside of this coptic orthodox church so i was nine years old about a hundred of us came and sat around her almost every single wednesday of the night and this woman was always telling a story one of the stories she told when I was a kid was the story of Moses. She started by this. She says, yes, we are living in this very, very poor neighborhood. Yes, we live in a country called Eritrea, which many people in the world probably don't know. But let me tell you a story. God is powerful, and he knows where we are, and he knows who we are. And this is what God had done. There were slaves in Egypt captured by this powerful king named Pharaoh. And then they were under slavery in making bricks. Every day, every hour of the day, with extremely excruciating pain on a daily basis. For 450 years, they were under this enormous level of slavery. But one day, the mighty God's hand came upon them and rescued them out of this tyrant and powerful king. 
and they have no way to defend themselves. They have no protection. They have no army. They have no money. They have no resources to feed. But they were going through a desert and they came across the Red Sea. And by the time they came across the Red Sea, they were frustrated. They were scared. They didn't know what to do. They have no ability to import this big population across the Red Sea to save themselves from this incoming army of Pharaoh. But the mighty God's hand opened the Red Sea. The sea split in half, and the people walked through the Red Sea. And as they were walking through the sea, the enemy did enter the sea. But as soon as the people of God left the sea, the enemy crumbled, and the sea went back to where it was. And this is your power for God who would rescue you, even by splitting the sea. Just imagine a nine-year-old kid in East Africa hearing a story like that. I've heard that God was powerful all my life. But to hear it being manifested in a story. I went home, part of me crying, part of me full of joy, part of me filled with hope, and part of me filled amazed. Stories are so important in our Christian faith that we must raise our children and we must impact our community by sharing those stories. And I know, I know. I'm not oblivious to the idea that how do you believe that God split the sea? How do you believe that God is able to pause the Jordan River? Yeah, as we tell the story, sometimes the story can seem so silly, let alone to an adult. We don't even want to tell it to our children. Because the retaliation of that scares us to death. But without a story, there's no proposition. If you believe that God is powerful, you must look to the stories. The stories is what proves that proposition. And that big argument that God is powerful. God is loving. So this is the story of my life. But all good stories are from God. Stories are God's idea. God is the one who created the story. God is the one that forms a story. And as a story, those good stories of God is what shapes us as creatures. And he has chosen a story as a primary way to present himself to his creation. The Bible does not simply contain story. It reflects God's choice of the form of the story as a primary means by which we tell about himself and how to be in a right relationship with him. It's also the form from God that God has chosen to preserve that knowledge over many, many, many generations. Consider, for instance, the, the story in the book of Joshua and the second miracles of crossing of the Jordan. I know, I know you, you know the story of the Israelites, many of you, but there's a story sometimes we forget. The story of Joshua leading the people of Israel across the Jordan River. And the Jordan River, by the time the Israelites crossed the Red Sea and actually were in the desert for 40 years, God was feeding them constantly. He was their source of economy and then social, uh, social empowerment and protection. And by the time they hit the Jordan River, they were exactly across from the promised land. By the time they get to Jordan River, Jordan River is enormous. Jordan River is big. Jordan River flies fast. You don't dare to cross the Jordan River. So one of the, the options that God has given them was he actually asked the, the priests of Israel to put their first foot on the ground of the Jordan River. 
So they were carrying the ark of God, which is the ark of the covenant, where God promised to dwell in the midst of them. When once they hit the ground of the Jordan River, the Jordan River didn't split, but it did what? It froze. That story always battled me so hard. I'm like, how the heck did the water froze and pause? People can walk in there. I never experienced such things, but <laughs> uh, I was in Boston when I was like 14 years old. In Boston, in the city of Cambridge in Massachusetts, if you're familiar with the state of Massachusetts, are split by a river called Charles River. And the Charles River is what splits Harvard, the university, from the rest of Boston, technically. The Charles River, during the winter, between February to April, Charles River does freeze. And then people walk through it. So I asked my uncle and some of my family members, I'm like, hey, let's walk through the river. And they look at me like, son, you immigrated so you can grow up and help your family not to die in the river. This is what white people do. We don't do these things. We don't risk our lives like that. Just, just try to walk by the road, not the water, right? But then I was so curious because the story that my mother told me when I was a kid about Joshua crossing the Jordan River and the, the water stopped and froze, I wanted to witness it. So I didn't tell anybody, of course. When it was safe, the cops do open the door. So I walked the, 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 uh, the Charles River. I walked through it. Man, I was scared to death. I was like, Mama, Dad, I'm, I'm about to see you as Jesus now. But I was like halfway, right? But then part of me, I was like, wait a second. This is an incredible thing. God can freeze the waters and can roll the rivers. Our God is powerful. So as they were crossing and as soon as they put the, their foot in the ground, the water paused. And the people of Israel crossed the Jordan through the river. But there's a particular part of that story. Our Lord commanded the people from each tribe to go back and take what? One rock from the water. They took one rock and then they put it together and they created a monument right outside of the Jordan River. And then the scripture says, if your children and the coming generation asks you what this is, tell them that your God froze the river. Your God split the Red Sea to rescue them. That's how we communicate the story of God. Not, not by proposition only by telling a story, a story that will build a generation to come, a generation that is obsessed with success, obsessed with empowerment, obsessed with things that they can accomplish on their own. But when we tell them a story that God is with you and your God will freeze waters to rescue you, all of a sudden, now this generation finds shalom, peace, that being successful is not what defines them. Overcoming their trouble is not what defines them. What defines them is the God who will rescue them. Do you know this young generation that we have now? In particular, like the Gen Z generation that we're raising in our country. Among many things, the generation struggles with so much bombardment. That, that they have to equal themselves to certain beauties that they see online. A generation that is pressured under constant instigation to be successful and powerful at what they do. A generation that have to be always better than the people that are around them. A generation that is terrified to come out of their house and facing their friends. A generation that could be hurt or bullied by a person who does not even live in their zip code, let alone in their school. 
This is a hard times for this young generation to grow up. And for this young generation to say God is powerful and loving, it's going to be really hard proposition to sell. But to tell the stories is what gives that proposition a body and a strong concept that would align them to be empowered. So here's, here's a message before I go to a stand. Do not, let us not organize our lives around anything that values only one aspect of what you are. Just quickly to mention this, by the way. We don't only lead our life based in logic. Remember, logic serves any master. I'll repeat it. Logic serves any master. A lot of things that we think is logically right may not be right at all, may even be dangerous, may even be scarily bad. The things that make sense to us at a time may not be the right things to do. I had a coworker, good friend, I'm not going to mention a name. We worked together for years, and sometimes at the office in crucial meetings, meetings where the vice president and the regional operations are giving certain reports of the company, sometimes he just doesn't show up on Monday. And I'm just always trying to cover him. I'm like, I'm trying to find the randomest excuse possible why he's not at the office. And one day I got really frustrated. I'm like, man, I'm so frustrated with you, bro. Why, why are you not at the office? You know, like simple thing to ask on Monday. He's like, yeah, I was, I was in Vegas. When I, yeah, I, was, I, I flew this. And I, we, we got really drunk on Sunday night. We couldn't, I couldn't wake up, you know, random excuses. And I'm like, bro, on Sunday, why don't you just think about it? And he's like, dude, at the time when I was drinking and getting drunk, it makes sense for me to get drunk. It just didn't make sense the next day. The next day, he's like, what the heck was I doing? But on that day, logically, it just made sense. Logic can trick us. So we don't base our life on one aspect of what we are. In re if, if it respects only one reason, it's inadequate. If it appeals only to the emotion, it will lay you down. If it values only to power and dis discipline, it will crack and crumble. Instead, you and I need a story to live by. The stories that will be shaping who we are and leads us to not base life just on one logic. Not only on emotion. Not only on discipline. Not only on being assertive in what you do and what you plan for the future. Those things are good. But if you built our life just in one notion, it's going to be really hard. But let me finish with this. But those stories were meant to tell. Those stories are not good for us, but they're also good for many. The Bible understands the story are not only central to faith, but they're also the natural carriers of faith from one generation to the next. The people in the Old Testament are constantly reminded of their master story. They're the people God rescued out of Egypt and are admonished to shape their lives around the fact. Build rock monuments by the Jordan as a story prompt. Read the newly rediscovered scriptures by the walls of Jerusalem as you rebuild. Hear from the prophets the story of God's faithfulness in the past and the possibility for the future. And when God rescues you, tell a story. Psalm 102 tells us, tell a story. Let us share a story of God to each other. Let us share God's story, not only for our salvation, but also even for our maturity. Remember the story 
of David, a king who was enormously powerful and accomplished, a warrior king who was able to expand the borders of Israel to the largest it's ever been, even until today, with a massive army, loyal soldiers, with the powerful resources to defend the nation and the region around it. The king had many access wives, apparently. I guess you could do that when you were a king. But there was one night in particular, the king did not go to war. And he was watching over the steps of his building. And he looked at this woman named Bathsheba. When he looked at her, he desired her so much, the king asked his servants to bring her back. When he brought her back to his house, he slept with her. But then he found out that her husband is alive and well, an actual soldier defending the needs of Israel in the borders of Israel. So the king sent for the soldier to come to the palace because the wife became pregnant. So he brought the soldier and he says, son, you need to rest. Go home, sleep with your wife, rest it out. Little thing he didn't know, he didn't calculate very well. The soldier was very loyal. He says, my Lord, I cannot do that. I'm not going to go sleep with my wife and rest in my home when the servants of the king, the soldiers, are fighting in the grounds. I, it, it, it can't, I can't do it. So I'm going to lay down outside of the king's palace, sleeping in the floor. I cannot go to my house until the soldiers are back. So David was frustrated. He does not know what to do. He doesn't want the story to come out. So what he did... He gave a letter to the soldier. He says, bring this letter to the army's general of Israel. Take it directly to him. And the letter reads, when the, when the soldier opens, when the general opens it, he read the letter, and the letter says, put Moriah, this un, not experienced soldier, at the front of the war. Make sure he dies. The general responded to the king's desire, right? He put the soldier right up front, and the soldier was killed. But then a prophet of God by the name of Nathan came to the palace of the king. And he says, my Lord, I want to tell you a story. There was a poor man and there was this rich man. They were both neighbors. He says, the rich man had a lot of cattle, sheep, and goats. The man was wealthy. But the poor man, he had one lamb. He had one lamb that he raised on his own. He feed her. She sleeps in his bed. She grew up with his children. The rich man had guests over at the house. Because he does not want to touch his massive resources, he stole the lamb from the poor man and he killed and fed his guests. The king was furious. The king rose from his seat. He roped his, he, he racked his clothes. He said, this man needs to be bedded underground, seven feet underground, and horses should come and kill him while he's in the ground. This is unfair. No man should overpower the poor. The prophet says, my Lord, that is you. You are the man that took a man with one wife, though you have access to a million women in the whole nation, and you murdered him. That is you. Luckily, the king fell down and repented. The consequence didn't stop. The son that was, that was supposed to be born, he was born and got sick and died. The king's repetition did decrease in Israel. His loyalty to his army was questioned. His integrity was questioned, but God rescued him because he forgave him. He showed him mercy. He didn't destroy him completely. Stories like that is what shapes our life. Just do you know how important that is to shape the children that we're raising? Do you know how powerful that is to shape our lives today? This story could be 
multiplied in multiple ideas. It can deal with the issues of racism. The story can deal with the issue of an, an, an inappropriate power. This issue can deal with the, uh, with the unnecessary empowerment of people that will take advantage of the poor and the broken. It will raise our generation to be faithful. But here's the greatest story of all. The greatest story that actually can give us meaning and purpose is this. God sent his only begotten son. Like what Josh was telling us today, we cannot cleanse our own selves. We are filled with sin and brokenness deep in the inside. We do not have an ability to cleanse ourselves. So God punished his son on our behalf. And because of his punishment, now you and I are friends of God. Now we have a relationship with God. That's the story we can build our life upon. That's the story that is the rock bed of our Christian faith. Not only that, but that's the story that gives us meaning and purpose and identity here on earth. That's the story where we start everything from. That's the story where we build our home upon. That's the rock. That's our foundation. That's the beginning and the end of us. May Christ Jesus, our Lord, by the power of his Holy Spirit, always lead us to this true story that could be the foundation of our faith. If you don't know a lot of stories, we wanted to encourage you. We wanted to encourage you to utilize certain resources that we, the church will be able to imply according with the sermon series. A stories that you can actually listen and read in the scripture. Let, let those stories mingle deep in your heart. Read them, memorize them, tell them to your children, tell them to your neighbors. Those are true stories that you are part of them. Now you are a character in those stories. In the story of God, you are part of it. You've been baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the story, the greatest author ever written, you're part of it. And no one, no one can take you away from the story of God that has been given to you by the power of Christ. I don't know where you are today. I don't know where you're struggling today. I don't know if you look back to your life, if you're 50 years old or 20 years old, look back to your life and say, yeah, my life really didn't turn out to be good and it will end very bad. Tell the story of God to yourself and to those who are around you. God loves you beyond your understanding, and he has an enormous purpose for you. Your broken story does not stop God from giving you an ultimate story. May the story of God in Christ Jesus our Lord preserve us in the true faith to life everlasting. Amen.